0: First John chapter 4. Let's just get into it here at verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You know, just in the previous verse, the last verse of chapter 3, John said that now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. In other words, it's very plain that everybody who is a believer in Jesus Christ, everybody who has put their trust in Him for their salvation, they have this gift of the Holy Spirit given unto them. But there's a difficulty with that, isn't it? Because there is not only the Holy Spirit of God abroad in our world, there are also demonic and deceptive spirits. And when somebody says, I'm filled with a spirit... You don't know exactly what they're talking about, do they? And John recognizes here in verse 1 of chapter 4 that we should not believe every spirit. In other words, we are not to assume that every spiritual experience or every demonstration of spiritual power is from God. We must test these spiritual experiences. We must test these demonstrations of spiritual phenomenon to see if they're really from God. Now many, many people will have some kind of spiritual experience that's not based in Jesus Christ. They'll have a spiritual experience uh, based on reading tarot cards, going to a fortune teller, having a, some kind of mystical experience. Maybe it's a strange out-of-body experience. Maybe it's something that came to them in the middle of the night. You may uh, have your heart beating right now as I'm talking about this because you realize this has happened to you and you've never been able to make sense of it. You've wondered, is this God? Is this the devil? What is this? But for many people, when that strange spiritual experience comes to them for the first time, they're so amazed to understand that there is a reality in the spiritual world that they never ask a simple question. They never ask, is it from God? Many people live their whole lives without recognizing the reality of the spiritual realm. They live in the world of material things, of flesh and blood things. And if they can't see it, if they can't touch it, if they can't measure it, or put it under a microscope and see it, it's not real. But my friends, you know there's an unseen world out there, don't you? You know that there is a world of spiritual things that we can't see them. But friends, they're true, and they're no less true just because we can't see them. And many people are so amazed just at coming into contact with the reality of the spiritual world that they never take a step back and say, is this from God? And John says, listen, my friends, verse 1, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Isn't it strange that that John could say that of his day and age in the church? I mean, I believe back then the church had perhaps a purity that it doesn't have now. I think it had a spiritual life that perhaps the church doesn't have now. Even in that day, John could say, false prophets have gone out. False prophets are a difficulty in the church that that we must be aware of. How much more in our own day? Now, who is supposed to test these spirits? Maybe it's just a few elite people. You know, sort of the counterintelligence wing of the Christian world. No, my friends, notice what it says here. Uh, According to 1 Corinthians 14.29, where Paul says, let the others judge, and 1 Thessalonians 5.20, where Paul says, test all things, hold fast what is good. Testing the spirits is the work of everybody in the body of Christ. And this job is to be done using the gifts of discernment that God has given to the body, especially to the leadership. Friends, what I'm just simply saying is that whenever somebody says says, the Lord says this or that, it should be judged. It should be assessed. It shouldn't just, well, oh, sure, okay, yeah, whatever. Whenever somebody says the Lord told me this, or the Lord says this to you, or the Lord says the other thing, it should be judged, it should be tested. And how should it be tested? By scriptural standards. Now, friends, we operate under a very, very basic premise that God does not contradict himself, that he's not confused, that God is not a politician who says one thing on one day and another thing on another day just to please whatever crowd he's in front of. My friends, God does not contradict himself, and he has given us his Eternal word recorded forever in the pages of scriptures. So whatever he would tell anybody in this day and age, it will never, and I mean never, contradict what he has already spoken to us in his word. And we can know that. We can judge everything that anybody might say should be or could be from God by judging it according to the word of God. Now I'll tell you another way you can know 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says that true prophecy is never of any private interpretation. Now, do you know what that means? That means that when there is a true word from God, there's not just going to be one person in on it. In other words, it will be known among many people in the body of Christ. There will be an agreement and a confirmation through the body of Christ. My friends, if, if I were to come up to you today and with all the sincerity of my heart not joking around, if I were to come up to you and say, God told me that he wants you to quit your job and wait for another job that's going to come along the way, you shouldn't do it. But what if God was telling you the exact same thing and my word came as a confirmation? Or what if three other people in different circumstances with even stronger confirmation came and repeated the same thing to you? Then you might have something to go on. But friends, we just don't run off because the Bible says that no prophecy is of any private interpretation. When God wants to say something to his people, he doesn't pick out just one person and then have everybody else close their ears. Now, how can we know when a true prophet is speaking? John's going to give us some tests here, beginning at verse 2. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Did you see what he said there in verse 2? That every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. My friends, true prophecy and true teaching will present a true Jesus. Now, in John's day and age, there was a debate, a theological debate, over the nature of Jesus, over who Jesus really was. And the debate centered around this idea. There are many people who said, well, yeah, Jesus is God, look at all the miracles, look at the resurrection, look at the words he spoke, we know he's God. But was he really a man? I don't think so. I don't think that he was a real man. As a matter of fact, there were people in John's day that denied that Jesus had truly come in a real body of flesh and blood. They taught that Jesus' body was really like a phantom. They even said things like, when he would walk on the beach, he wouldn't leave footprints. Because he just was, you know, a a vague millimeter above material things, and his body wasn't a flesh and blood body like ours. He wasn't really human. And many of these people thought, that Jesus was not really a man because of this. And you know what John says? He says, that's not true. And if they're not telling the truth about Jesus, then they're not speaking for God. Anybody who's really speaking for God is going to tell you the truth about Jesus. And Jesus came as a flesh and blood man. Now, I find this very interesting. Because in our day and age, some groups deny that Jesus is really God. Did you know that the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is really God? They believe like he's a junior God, like a, you know, a, 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 a subordinate God, that he's not the true God. Uh, Mormons don't believe that Jesus is God. Well, in a way they do, in a way they don't. They believe Jesus is God, and so can everybody else be. In other words, he's not the sovereign God that rules the universe. Muslims do not believe that Jesus is God. They believed that it would be a horrible blasphemy to call Jesus Christ God. My friends, that is the issue for many people today. Is Jesus really God? But I want you to notice something. Way back in John's days, I mean just decades after Jesus left this earth and ascended into heaven, the debate was not about whether or not Jesus was God. Everybody knew that. The debate was, was he really a man? And this false teaching said that Jesus was truly God, which was correct. But they said that he was a make-believe man. My friends, can I tell you this morning that just as much as we need to be passionate about saying Jesus is God, and he is. Jesus is God, but it is no less important for us to say that Jesus is a man. Because it is both the deity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus would save us. It's together. He is the God-man. Jesus is fully man and fully God. So now wait a minute. Are you telling me that he's 100% man and 100% God? I don't get how that works. That's all right. I don't think the Lord ever asked you to get how it works. He just asked you to see what the Bible says and to believe it. But my friends, Jesus is fully man and fully God. He is not human at the expense of his deity, and he is not divine at the expense of his humanity. There was a time in eternity where the second person of the Trinity, where God the Son, added humanity to his deity. It wasn't subtraction. He didn't take anything away from his deity. He added humanity to his deity. And forever then, Jesus is the God-man. And that's why John looks at us and he says, listen, If they're not telling you the truth about Jesus, then they're not really from God. Now, based on these verses, some people have thought that the only test of false doctrine is to see if a person confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And do you see how this could cause a lot of problems for people? You know, those groups I just mentioned, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Muslims, Each one of them might say, well, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. They don't have any problem with saying that. But my friends, that's not the only criteria. That was just the specific issue uh, dealing with in John's day. The broader issue is, are people telling the truth about Jesus Christ. And the principle of presenting a true Jesus is essential to the testing of spirits. No one who presents a false Jesus or a Jesus who is untrue to the scriptures can be regarded as a true prophet. You know, I don't know if you see this stuff on the cover of Time and Newsweek maybe in specials on PBS or other television programs. But today, there's a lot of interest in, or at least curiosity, about discovering the true Jesus. And many so-called scholars say, we want to discover the true Jesus. Do you know what they mean when they say that? Let me clue you in what they mean when they say that. What they're trying to tell you is they say, The true Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. Oh, no. That is a make-believe Jesus. We need to discover the true, so to speak, Jesus behind all those myths in the Bible. My friends, when I hear that, it just makes me want to do something sinful. It just makes me want to get angry when I hear that. I tell you, because, well... Not that it really matters anything, but uh, I went to college, I went to the University of California at Santa Barbara, and I graduated with a bachelor's degree, and I graduated with honors, and my degree was in history. I know a little something about history and historical method and and how things are determined in history and how you can understand if something is historically true or historically unsubstantiated. And I'm telling you that those scholars who come and tell you that we can just throw out the biblical Jesus because he's a myth, because he's not historical, first of all, they're ignorant. And, And I'd say it to their face. Do you know why they're ignorant? Because they're ignoring the awesome historical validity of the New Testament. My friends, the New Testament is a historical document. This is not Hansel and Gretel. This is not the three little wolf, the Three Little pigs and the great bad wolf. My friends, it's not fairy tales. It's for real. This is talking about real people, real places, real times. And when you go back and do the archaeology and do the, stra- do the history, everything that can be independently substantiated is independently substantiated. Now, if what can be proven is proven to be true, then I can take what can't be proven as historically reliable. My friends, the people, the scholars, who just throw the New Testament out of hand as being unhistorical, they're just operating under the kind of presumption that says, well, I can tell you that the New Testament isn't historical because it says that a man rose from the dead, and we know people don't rise from the dead. Well, maybe they don't rise from the dead for you but they do for a sovereign God who rules over life and death. If they just want to reject the supernatural and reject miracles out of hand, well, then they sniff their noses and say it's unhistorical. But my friends, that's not a scholarly position. That's just a bias. That's just making up your mind and saying it's not true. They're ignorant. And I'll tell you what else about these so-called scholars is they are Arrogant. They are arrogant, because what do they replace the firm word of God with? What do they replace this reliable historical document with? Their own personal opinions. My friends, I'll tell you what it's like. They get a bunch of scholars, they sit around in the room, and say, well, I think Jesus was a political revolutionary, and he really wanted to start a civil war against Rome. Well, I think Jesus was a peasant preacher and just went around and wanted to spread peace and love. Well, I think Jesus, and I think, and I think, and I think. Show me some historical evidence, why don't you? Show me some proof. Show me a document. Show me something from history. History deals in facts, not just in your vague opinions. My friends, we need to be settled about the truth about Jesus Christ. And I wonder sometimes because, you know, maybe some of you just aren't as experienced in these things as you might be. And maybe when you see that cover of Newsweek and it talks about the historical Jesus, or, or you see that special on television, you know, discovering the real Jesus, this and that, maybe you get look in Well, maybe it's not real. Maybe there, there's something to this. Maybe, maybe it's not as reliable. My friends, I'm here telling you with all my heart and with all my educational background, what the Bible says about Jesus Christ is true. And if it wasn't true, I wouldn't be doing this. You can trust it. So do they present a true Jesus? If they're not presenting a true Jesus, did you see what he said in verse 3? And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist. To deny the true Jesus is the basis of the spirit of the Antichrist. My friends, I want you to understand something very important this morning. The devil doesn't care at all if you love Jesus. The devil doesn't care at all if you know Jesus or pray to Jesus just as long as it's a false Jesus that you know and love and pray to. Friends, this is why this is of critical importance. Generally speaking, and you never would know it by how worked up I am this morning, but generally speaking, I'm a non-confrontational person. And uh, I don't like to offend people and get in their face and such. And it's very easy sometimes to think or to wish, well, you know, those, those folks who believe what the Church of Latter-day Saints believe, uh, they're good folks, they're doing their best, they're all sincere. Uh, those folks down at the Kingdom Hall, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, my, what hard-working people, boy, They're sincere. And and they talk about Jesus, and they know Jesus, and they care about Jesus. My friends, here's the critical issue, and I don't say this with with rancor in my heart. I say it with sadness. The critical issue is that Jesus they believe in is not the true Jesus. It's a make-believe Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. And the devil doesn't care if we believe in Jesus as long as he's a make-believe Jesus. Oh, but the devil cares a great deal if we care about the Jesus of the Bible, the true Jesus that's revealed to us. That's why this is a critical issue. My friends, a false Jesus cannot save you. A false Jesus is not really there. Now going on here in verse 4. He says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Oh, friends, a child of God need not fear the spirit of Antichrist, even though we should be warned of it. We don't need to fear it because the indwelling spirit of God within us is greater than he who is in the world. Friend, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The believer has a resource for victory, a presence of the indwelling Jesus that makes victory always possible if we will rely on he who is in you instead of ourselves. Friends, what confidence, what power comes into our Christian life when we understand who the believer is in Jesus. When we're walking in the truth, victory is assured. He will not overcome us. Friends, this is a positive statement. It's not a wishful hope. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It means that the Christian has no place for fear. Maybe you came in this this morning afraid. Sometimes I get afraid. Sometimes I take a look at the dangers that are out there and the the things that can confront uh, myself as an individual or our church and you can get afraid. But there's no place for fear in the Christian life. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We have many spiritual enemies, but not one single one of them is greater than the Jesus who is in us. And he goes on here into verses 5 and 6. He says, they are of the world. Therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. My friends, those who are of the world are evident, because they speak as of the world. The evidence of the world is evident the influence of the world, I should say, is evident in their speech. You know, this passage really isn't focused on the subject I'm going to bring up right now, but it alludes to it, and why don't I just mention it? You know, when we're all together here on a Sunday morning, it's just great. I mean, we have a great time of fellowship and a great time of being with one another. And you know it's great? I mean... I don't know about you, but out there at the donut table, I don't hear anybody swearing or using profanity, do you? I don't hear anybody using filthy language and profane words and and terrible speaking. I just don't hear it. Friends, what I want to know is, do you talk like that all the time? Or is that just your church vocabulary? Honestly now, what does it say there in verse 5? They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world. In your normal daily conversation, would anybody know that you're a Christian? Or at least that you have high moral standards by the way that you speak. Now, I know that for some of you it's a tough thing because in the environment you work in or just the habit that you've developed in life, it's just a habit. It's a bad and it's a hard habit to break. Frank, can I just tell you, please, please, just don't make peace with it. Seek God and let him transform your life. Let him transform your speech so that you would not speak as of the world. You see, those who are of the world are also evident, not just by what they say, but by who hears them. Did you see that in verse 5? They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. You see, they don't face the rejection that the child of God will face from the world, because they are friends with the world. And this brings up another thought into my heart. It's a, when it says that the world hears them, it, we need to take caution on that. You know, we as Christians, we want to reach the world with the gospel, right? We want to bring it to them. We want to give it to them in a way that they can hear, in a way that they can understand. And it's exciting when the world will listen to the gospel. But we must take care that the world isn't listening to us because we're speaking as the world. We must speak so that the world can understand, but never speaking as the world Friends, just because the world is hearing the message doesn't prove that the message is God's message. We need to speak the word of God. So he goes on to say in verse 6, We are of God. He who knows God hears us. And he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You see, those who are of God enjoy fellowship with other believers. There's a common ground. There's there's a common language of fellowship, one with another. I tell you, I just love, and I'm excited about uh, my trip this week. I get to go and and meet Christians from other countries that I've never met before. And I tell you what, if they love the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to get together and we're going to have a common vocabulary. We're going to be able to talk about the things of God. I've never known these people. I've never met them. I don't know their language. I don't know their culture. But I'm going to go there, we're going to have great fellowship because we have a common language. It's the language of fellowship in Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice something. John makes it very clear that you can know the spirit of truth and the spirit of Error. how? Look at it, verse 6 again. This is very important. We are of God. He who knows God hears God us. Now, friends, who do you think the us is that he's referring to? Who is the we? Well, you might say all Christians or all people in church, but I don't think that's what John's getting at. You know who I think he's talking about when he says us and we? I think he's talking about the apostles who brought forth the authoritative doctrine for the others. He's talking about the, the, the speaking of the New Testament. In other words, what he's saying is he who knows God Hears us. If you really know God, you're going to hear what the apostles are saying. And where did the apostles say it to us? In his word. You see, when we understand who is hearing what God has taught us through the apostles, as recorded in the New Testament, it helps us to know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. How do you know the spirit of truth? Are they hearing the apostles? the spirit of error, they are not hearing the apostles. Friends, it's just bottom line this. If it's what the Bible teaches, it's from God. If it's not what the Bible teaches, don't bet on it for a minute. It's not from the Lord. If someone hears what God has said in the Bible, we know that they have the spirit of truth. If they do not hear it, then they have the spirit of error. And did you notice that phrase? It's striking, isn't it? The spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John makes it clear that error has a spiritual dynamic to it. He isn't just talking about being educated or being smart. You might be the smartest person here this morning. You might have an IQ off the charts. You could make a Mensa member look stupid. Friends, You could be smart all day long, but you could still be smart and have the spirit of error because it's not an intellectual thing. It's a spiritual dynamic. Some very educated, some very smart people can still be influenced mightily by the spirit of error. And since error has a spiritual dynamic to it, keeping in the spirit of truth is also a spiritual issue. That's why we need to stay close to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? So that we don't get led astray by the spirit of error. Friends, it kind of brings us full circle, doesn't it? When we keep in the spirit of truth, we're clinging to Jesus. Because what did Jesus say about himself in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus himself is the spirit of truth. And so like I say, we've come full circle. We started off talking about the importance of the true Jesus, and now we talk about keeping in the spirit of truth by keeping in Jesus. Now friends, I don't know where this section from the letter of 1 John hits you this morning. Maybe this week you had some deception, some some spirit of error come up in front of you, and you didn't even recognize it and such, but as I'm speaking and as we're taking a look at this text, you go, wow, that's what that's all about. Or maybe, just maybe, God is speaking this to you this week in preparation for something that you're going to encounter later on this week. Whatever the case, friends, don't we see the importance? Clinging close to Jesus and staying with the testimony of the New Testament and the Old Testament, God's word to us given by the apostles and prophets. Let's pray and ask him to seal that in our hearts right now. Father, we come before you now in prayer, and we're just so grateful for who you are. We're grateful for what you do among us, Lord. And Lord, we want to have a a relationship with the real Jesus. Not a make-believe Jesus, Lord. That make-believe Jesus cannot save us from hell. Can't save us from our sin right now. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who has been uh, troubled in their hearts, perhaps. They hear what I'm saying, and maybe it sounds offensive to them, Lord. Maybe it sounds exclusive. Lord, I pray that you would just give us your heart as it's reflected in your word. Because we want to be able to say that when we love Jesus, we're talking about the Jesus who's really there. Keep us from the spirit of error and guide us into the spirit of truth. We pray this in Jesus' name.